speaking podcast this is chris shelton the critical thinker at large coming at you for another awesome episode of scientology takedown uh this is brought to you on itunes stitcher google play and with video here on youtube this week i am joined by jeffrey augustine uh and we are going to talk about we're going to go uh well let's just say this is the moby dick edition of the sensibly speaking podcast <laughs> we are going to go whale hunting so uh i'm just going to get right into it here jeff welcome to the show Hey, great to uh, be on the show, Chris. Always enjoy your podcast. Awesome, man. There you go. Awesome. So, okay. So, uh, there. I mean, this is an exciting time. There have been some recent developments uh, that we have been reading about. Uh, this lawsuit uh, that was filed, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, these uh, these other kind of things that are happening that we're going to talk about here. Uh, what's your take, first off, I guess, on this? Uh, this lawsuit, this Jane Doe lawsuit, and, and word that there are going to be many, many more coming. Well, it's not surprising to me that that um, it, the lawsuit did not surprise me, I'll say that. Um, as Marcy Hamilton said, you can believe whatever you want, but you can't, you know, do whatever you want. In other words, behavior, behavior, um, breaking the law trumps religious beliefs. So I think given Given what the church said and did during the Monique Rathbun lawsuit, there's a lot of interesting legal things they didn't said that we that the attorneys who are suing for Jane Doe have the advantage of knowing. Also, the fact that part of the time Jane Doe was a minor will enter into it. I think that David Miscavige will, of course, be deposed, as will Shelley Miscavige. Yes, right. that is something that uh, makes this case a little different from anything that's ever rolled up on Scientology's doorstep before. Yes, it does. And the law firm understands uh, jurisdictional issues. Uh -huh. They understand the contracts. So there's a lot that they understand. The threat to the church, and the church knows it, is that they can pierce the corporate veil and show that David Miscavige is the managing agent of the Church of Scientology. <clears throat> That's one of the real, real legal existential threats to the church, and they know it. Big time. That was something that was being pursued pretty heavily near the end of the Rathman lawsuit. They were going after that. They were going after deposing Miscavige. They actually got the the judge to order that Miscavige would submit a written deposition, if I remember right. And uh, so, you think this is going to follow in that same line, only harder? Well, no. Yes and no. It's different because. Uh, Jane Doe worked for the Religious Technology Center. Miscavige is going to have, and he worked for <clears throat> David Miscavige and Shelley Miscavige. So he's going to have a, Miscavige will have a hard time arguing for an apex deposition. Of a very difficult time. The, um, we have to see the opening motions that are filed, what they want to do in discovery. And um, <clears throat> we've already seen the, you know, the, the, the church, um, try to shoot this thing down in its response, you know, and, and uh, it, it was not credible. It's a lawsuit. It's very early. And the deposition will tell us a lot. So we'll know a lot more when the first opening uh, motions are filed. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how this thing rolls out. So there has been some other news recently. Yeah, what's interesting, um, 
I've been covering on the Scientology Money Project a Scientologist named David Gentili. He is the CEO of GPB Capital, like George Paul Bob Capital Holdings in New York City. And what, what David did, uh, he um, began several years ago, uh, he wanted to buy car dealerships. He's really into cars, right? So he began raising money using what's called Regulation D. And in the United States, Regulation D allows you to raise money without becoming a publicly held company, going through the IPO and everything that's very expensive to do. Regulation D investments are generally illiquid. Now, what does that mean? That means your money's held for seven to 10 years, five to seven years. They're illiquid. You can't, if, if you or I buy uh, Amazon, we can literally buy and sell it the same day. It's highly liquid. Mm. A, regula a regulation D, which is also called a private placement or private equity, is, is illiquid. So the person to whom you, you, you invest the money, the company you invest the money with can hold it for a long period of time and you agree to those terms. So it's the kind of investment that would be more, for investors, it would be considered a more stable long-term investment than the fast, fast, bang, bang, pork bellies in and out sort of thing that we're, that I guess we're more familiar with. Not, not really, Chris. You have to be careful here. Okay. Uh, if you Google Regulation D investments, they're considered high risk. Okay. Okay. They're, they're high risk. Because generally they're raising private money um, that you don't control and they can invest in, they can try to make a lot of money. Some regulation D investments make a lot of money, but generally they're considered high risk illiquid. Okay. And so so you, you are warned that these are high risk illiquid investments. Be prepared to tie up your money seven to 10 years and there's, and you could lose some or all of your money. Now that's true in the stock market. However, uh, the stock market historically always performs better than regulation D investments, unless you get that one magical investment that, you know, that goes well. Um, one investment guru has called regulation D investments, the place where investors go to die. Oh, so, wow. Okay. Wow. So. And that is how uh, this guy raised money for his venture. Right. And, and not all regulation D uh, investments are bad. You know, mm -hmm. so you, so you have to evaluate them on a case by case basis. Fair enough. So I, I I personally prefer the liquidity of the stock market, and I think you can make more money there. Regulation D, um, you don't really know what you're getting into unless you go extensively. Now, what happened, David Gentili? He he did something um, which seems smart at the time. He in order to raise money, he paid his investors, uh, I'm sorry, his, um, the brokers who raised money for him about 9%, in some cases, 12% commission. Okay. So if I'm a, a GPB broker selling you as a private individual, I know that I'll get 5%, 7% commission and my broker will get a couple percentage and it works out to about 9.7%. So for every dollar you're investing, you're already down you know, nine, um, early down 9.7%. Right. Pre pretty much a, a dollar on every $10. Yeah. You just, call, you just round it up. Yeah. So if you, if you put in 100000 you're down 10000 Now, GPB Capital used a strategy, and, and everyone does this. I'm not, you know, you always got to watch out for this, where they say, we're going to let you invest where the big guys invest. 
we're going to let you have a shot at where the only the big guys have been able to invest. So by pooling your money in what's called a blind pool investment, you get a shot to buy these car dealerships, you know, that only the really wealthy can afford to buy. Well, because of the high commissions, people are naturally, brokers are naturally going to push those over products that pay lower commissions. That's just the self um, interest of the uh, brokerages. Because sure. if you're going to make, you look, it, being in sales for 30 years, it takes as much work sometimes to sell $100,000 as it does to sell a million dollars, right? So given that you have only a finite amount of time, any salesperson is going to sell where they can make a lot more money. Uh, of course, that only That's, makes sense for the salespeople. So, so yeah, the GPB paper they were selling, they made a lot more money. As a consequence, over time, GPB Capital and David Gentile raised $1.8 billion. With a Wait a B. minute, billion with a B? Billion with a B. That's a B as in boy, like, whoa, that's a one, lot of money. That's serious money. Yes, it is. And, um, and what were they, what, did you, was the car dealerships, that's what he was doing? Well, yeah, what they started doing is uh, they started buying car dealerships. So, you know, they buy mostly in the, um, the, the Northeast there, uh, New York, New Jersey, they buy premium car dealerships. But then because there was so much money coming in so fast, they branched out into things like waste management. So they bought a waste management company in New York City. And waste management in New York City is controlled by the uh, BIC because it's mob connected. They have to police it. You know, on the Sopranos, uh, Tony Sopranos told her when he's a waste management consultant. So it's kind of, it's kind, of, kind, of a, kind of a joke. Like whenever you hear waste management in New York City, you think mob, you know. Right, right. That's just the association it has, okay? Okay. So he got into waste management. He, he also got into uh, health care, places he had no expertise. Because David Gentile, you know, came up as a CPA. And, uh, and he, he's also buying uh, debt from tech companies. Mm. So a lot, a lot of high-risk stuff. The play there buying, buying uh, debt from uh, small tech companies is if they go bankrupt and they can't pay you, you can, you've secured your debt against their patents. And sometimes getting their patents, you can sell them for a lot more money than you loan them. Right. Right. So, so there's, and it's a kind of investment that these guys are making. It's a bet. Maybe it pays off. Maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I still get something that I can actually go something. sell or use. Yeah. And in 2017, GPP uh, mentioned on its website that it uh, it had sold 3.2 billion dollars in vehicles through its car dealerships. Wow. Okay. So, so you got all this money, but then things start getting weird where. Um, Securities and Exchange Commission rules require Regulation D companies when they get over a certain dollar amount. Mm -hmm. And I forget, I forget the number. I think it's uh, fifty million dollars, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, you, you have to, you have to turn in reports to the SEC. So what happened last year is the um, GPB missed the deadlines to turn in these required SEC reports for 2015, 2016. In fact, they said they had to uh, redo their earnings. Which is, is, that, a, is that a usual thing, or is that no? Okay, <laughs> so this is that he—he's just like pushing delaying tactics on the SEC. Well, 
Delang, yeah, I mean, it sounds like red flags of the market. Like yeah. you either know, he, he's a CPA, you should know your damn numbers. I was just about to say, this is of all the people who would understand how to do these filings, you'd think he would. Yeah, so so that sounds like red flags. And now as a consequence of them not um, being able to do their, to turn in their reports, they cannot raise any more new money. That means all the money stops. Now they're paying. They're paying their uh, investors distributions. That's what you get every month is a distribution. So if you invest in a Reg D, you expect to get four percent to ten percent distribution each month. And so you're getting you're getting dividends, but they're called distributions. Mm -hmm. So at some point he stops paying distributions or he lowers them. He can't take in new money because he had, you know, I, I found online an offering where he wanted to raise another $1.5 billion at the beginning of, and he had to abandon that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now what, now, now fast forward. So this is, this is getting traction in the media and I'm following it. And, and, and just in case it hasn't been made clear yet, David Gentili is a Scientologist. Yes, he's a Scientologist. <laughs> and he is a mega rich Scientologist, or at least he is trying to be and is throwing enough money around that he would be considered what we call in Scientology a whale. He would be a whale because, you know, when you have $1.8 billion assets under management, you're going to be paying yourself a salary. So, you know, I don't think he's uh, digging in, in the sofa for loose change. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is not some operation you're running out of your living room. This is a full-on deal here, yeah? Yeah, this is where you make a lot of money, and you have staff, and you have offices, you know, around the country. So, fast forward, um, I think October, his his auditing firm quits. Oh. Which is Big deal when your your auditing firm says we have to resign because GPB falls outside of our risk tolerance parameters. Oh no! Talk about a red flag. That's a great big, huge, waving one on the hilltop. Yeah, it is. Jesus. It is. We had to have your auditing uh, your auditor resign. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty uh, bad. Okay. okay. So then, uh, February, I believe it's February. The uh, the FBI raids two locations, corporate and the waste management location. The FBI raided his offices? Yes. Now, GPB Capital is very PR savvy, and they spun it as the FBI paid an unannounced visit to our location. <laughs> <laughs> paid an unannounced visit. Well, uh -huh. Yeah, that's, another, that's a polite way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, technically, a raid, it, the, the legal term is uh, the execution of a search warrant, right? Mm -hmm. But they made it sound like the FBI, you know, was in the neighborhood and dropped by for coffee. And right. Said, hey, uh, while we're here, would you mind giving us your documents, computers, laptops, hard drives, flash drives, memory sticks, all other electronic media? Oh, yeah, sure, FBI, here. <laughs> so they said they, they cooperated. They were already being investigated by the SEC, Securities Exchange Commission. They were already being investigated by FINRA, which regulates uh, private placement. So they're being investigated by everybody, and then the FBI shows up. Oh, man. Um, now, uh, now, okay, now just to kind of, so for my edification, because this is all kind of new territory for me in these, you know, in, in terms of all the details of this, right? Yeah. Um, you know, generally, like in a movie or something like, you know, uh, Wolf of Wall Street or something, I mean, when the FBI is showing up, 
you know, and, and they're, and you know, and they're, they're almost perp walking you out the door, right? Like, you know, like that's when things are kind of in the end game. Is that, is that a, a right way to look at this or how, how would I be looking at this? Yeah, that's, you know, when you, when the FBI raids you, that's uh, very serious. And uh, that means they're getting information to give to uh, prosecutors to build a case. Right. This is never trivial. The FBI doesn't waste their time. Exactly. So this is very... Plus, if they're raiding, that, that means that they have warrants which show that they have probable cause to be raiding you. Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that they're raiding corporate headquarters and the waste management, it, it suggests uh, it suggests criminality, of course. Now, okay. everyone's in, innocent until proven guilty. Of course. No one's been arrested. Okay. And so, so we're just watching it. So everyone enjoys the presumption of innocence. But when the FBI, come on, when the FBI shows up, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, now, my question to you. Yeah. And now you're going to pretend you're RTC. Okay. In fact, you're David Miscavige. You're yep. RTC. We in RTC, right? Yep. Hey, you get news. You get news that David Gentile's firm has been raided by the FBI twice. Same day. Late in the day, they raid. They get everything. Yep. And you've got a Scientologist with a lot of money, almost $2 billion under management. He's been raided. What do you do? Well, clearly, this is somebody who is now a person of concern, person of interest for David Miscavige personally, because that amount of money and an FBI raid on a high level, you know, whale Scientologist is going to be uh, immediately there's going to be threat assessments, right? What's the threat to David Miscavige personally is the highest top priority threat assessment. What's the threat to the church overall? Um, what are the connections? Who is, he, who is the Scientologist, this Gentile guy? Who is he connected to? Mm. Uh, did he do it? Or what's, what's in his PC folders? We're going to get his folders out now, his confidential confessional folders, and we're going to go over those with a fine-tooth comb. Anything having to do with any kind of hint of financial irregularities, crimes, anything like that is going to get called out of those folders. And I'm talking about guys staying up all night to get this done, you know, by 6 a.m. for the report to be on Miscavige's desk, right? Like, this is going to be top priority, you know, all hands on deck. Find out what the hell I want to know everything about this situation, right? So all that's going to be, all that machinery is going to be in motion. And this particular individual, I believe, has family, uh, it, it, you know, connected to Scientology. He's not just a lone guy. So no. what's up with them? Do they know? What do they know? How much do they know? How long have they known it? Have they been making that known to us, right? Like, what's mm -hmm. all of the, what's all the data? What's all the connections again? Get all of that laid out and then figure out, what do we need to do to distance ourselves from this individual as quickly and rapidly as possible? I mean, I think this is pretty much crisis management 101. And the church is not particularly bad at this. You know, they've, this, they've had, un, you know, unfortunately, plenty of practice. I mean, this could be, uh, you know, if Reed Slatkin was a case of, of localized cancer, this sounds like hypercancer. You know, like this is like crazy. Like, whoa, what? Because uh, we're talking about a lot of money. And how much money has the church gotten from this individual connected with all of these enterprises? And what do we need to do to introduce plausible deniability into any 
uh, you know, FBI forays or inquiries into our dealings with this individual and where his money has gone. Wow. Right. So, well, let me let me add in a second thing. There yeah. was another Scientologist in the mix. The number two guy in GBB Capital is named Manuel Viana. Okay, now, shortly after the FBI raids, Manuel Viana disappears. He's scrubbed from the GBB Capital site. He was a managing partner. According to his LinkedIn profile, he has a Harvard MBA. He worked with Matt Feshbach at Okeanos, the stem cell institute that, that Mr. Feshbach formerly owned down in the Bahamas, right? Mm -hmm. so, so Manuel was working with David Gentili and he disappears. He scrubbed mm -hmm. off the site. Don't know. Could be just that don't want to work for you anymore. You know, I don't know. So they're also going to be checking Manuel Viana. Oh, absolutely. As a Scientologist, they're going to be, like, again, all the connections. Anyone who works in that group who's a Scientologist or who is at all connected with a Scientologist, Miscavige is going to want to know every single detail of their life. And again, all in the direction of what's the threat to him personally and what's the threat to the church overall. Okay, so I, I assume, you know, I don't know, but I, I assume that, that David Gentile would have Scientologists working for him. I would assume that too, because and, and, it tends and, to be a cloistered community, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, mutual, you know, you, you rub my back, I'll rub yours kind of thing. Okay, so are the, are the Scientology employees, are they sec-checked? Are they pulled in? Are they, I mean, does David Gentile get pulled in for sec-checks? Well, probably not. Given the fact that he's under FBI investigation, they're going to want to keep that guy off of Scientology mm -hmm. properties. They're going to want to minimize any exposure that Scientology has or connection that he has with them. So it's going to be more like uh, David Gentile, who's that? So now if he's auditing at his local org or at FLAG or PAC, any org, is he going to be pulled off auditing? Absolutely. Immediately and yeah. at once. This would be the ultimate PTS condition, right? Potential <laughs> trouble source. There's not, it's moved out of the potential part. This guy is a trouble source now for the, you know, for the church. So, you know, it's like, yeah. you remember the old, the old Seinfeld episode with the soup Nazi, no soup for you? <laughs> yes. It's like no auditing for you. Exactly. Exactly. No training, no auditing. And for all of his, that's, this is why the connections are important. It's going to be his whole family. It's going to be business partners. It's going to be connections, employees, anybody. All of these guys are going to get labeled PTS and distanced. So it's a control and containment strategy. Absolutely. You know, uh, um, switch, and, and just so you know, just like um, there's going to be more lawsuits in the Jane Doe case. Yep. Right now, if you Google GPB Capital Online, you're going to see all these securities law firms out looking for clients. There, there's going to be securities. There's already securities law firms uh, suing GPB on behalf of clients. Of course. Now what? Now what happened is um, Friday last, um, GPB. Okay, here, going going back two weeks, and, and people in the finance world will find this interesting. Fidelity and Investments basically said they were going to take GPB off their platform. And to just simplify it, it would be like a company being delisted from the stock exchange. Okay. Okay. And, and As a precautionary so, measure. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, uh, Fidelity's, uh, Fidelity Investments, so we don't really know what this is worth or how to value it. Okay. So we're just going to take it off our platform. Now, that caused a huge panic when that announcement was made. 
Right. So Again, not an accusation of guilt, just, whoa, this is trouble. We want to keep people away from this. Well, it's like we don't know what we're dealing with here. Right. So for, to, to protect our company, we're going to take you off our platform. You have 90 days to find another platform. Okay. So, so it's, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, any CEO would look at risk assessment and say, we better take these guys off our platforms. We don't really know how to value them. We don't know what they're worth. The implication was they might not be worth anything. So as I read the tea leaves, GPB panicked because a week later, they issue a valuation. And in the valuation, they admit to losing, the, the value of their funds are down 25 to 39% on their two major funds, which constitute 1.2 billion. Mm-hmm. The waste management fund is down 73%. Wow. So the net, now according to investment news, whereas it was 1.8 billion valuation less commissions, now it's $1.1 billion. So $700 million is gone. $250 million of that was paid to investors. In other words, they were paying you back your own money, which is like if I borrowed a hundred from you and I'm paying you back your own money, it's like... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, like, you don't get any injury. You know, yeah, so... Um, but, this so is the, but, this, but also, to be fair, this is the risk that investors make when they invest their money in, in things like this. You were warned you could lose all your money. I mean, that is a thing. It's not like they're owed their money back. This, you know, well, they could lose it all, and that's the risk they take as investors. Yes, except what the law firms are saying is, <clears throat> what did the brokers represent to you? Did they represent to you that this was a stable investment? You were specifically relying on a broker who sold you an investment. Therefore, they're going to go after the brokers who are in turn going to go after GPB Capital for saying we were relying on them. Right. So this is going to turn into a legal train wreck. Yes, you were warned, but you can also say, but they told me this was safe. They told me that I would own car dealerships. So how do you lose several hundred million dollars when you have cash flow, supposedly? Where are the several hundred million dollars? You know, a John P. Capitalist ventured the opinion that they may only be devaluing their assets, meaning they overpaid for these assets. We don't know. Okay. Okay. Alternate, alternately, when the authorities get done, the valuation could go down further. So okay. because the actual, they still haven't filed their papers. Now, there was a guy who was a partner at GPB named Patrick Debris, D-I-B-R-E. And excuse me, I'm not pronouncing his name right, but it's D-I-B-R-E. So Patrick Debris, they sued him. Uh, Who, who's they? GPB Capital sued Patrick Debris. Oh, okay. They sued him, charging conversion, fraud, theft. They said they paid him $42 million for his car dealerships, and he didn't turn them over for eight car dealerships. And, uh, you know, to call someone a crook, you stole our money, conversion, fraud, these are really serious allegations in a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. It's there in, in New York State. And you can see it online. And I have it on my blog as well. Well, Patrick Debris was not going to have any of this nonsense. So he counterclaimed. And he called GPB Capital a Ponzi scheme. Ah. So he crossed the line and said they were a Ponzi scheme. Of course, and, they deny it. But that's what's going on in the legal records. I'm and, only quoting from the legal records. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we're not saying yeah. that this is a fact. We're saying that these no. are the accusations that are flying around. But yeah. it certainly has... 
what's the word I would use here, I guess, um, it just brings to mind Reed Slatkin again. Yeah, it's it's evocative of Reed, the Reed Slatkin uh, Ponzi scheme. Now, we don't know altogether until the, uh, until the authorities, the, the FBI, the SEC, and securities lawsuits, you know, they're the lawsuits between uh, debris and uh, GBB Capital. We don't know. But, it, but, it's, but it's interesting that, that the Church of Scientology will do a control and containment strategy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, they are. Uh, they are, you know, for, it, it's, it's weird. It's very, very weird watching from externally, watching the Church of Scientology, because they are absolutely awful at their own public relations. And yet they are so paranoically uh, watchful of public relations, of, of how the public perceives them, of how their public image is. And they're deathly, deathly afraid of anything approximating criminal activity, you know, encroaching on their shores, right? Getting near sure. them. And so they will do anything and everything. Oh, yeah, I guess I should say also this being, um, you know, SEC matter, Wall Street matter, fi you know, investments, all this kind yep. of stuff. Uh, a whole nother thing that would that would absolutely have to happen here is lawyers hired like professional specialists on this subject are going to yep. be consulted to give David Miscavige the rundown on what's going on, how does this all work, and again, in the, in the line of how much is this gonna encroach on our territory or how much could it encroach on us and uh, involve us in this. And they have to have gone through this drill a few times given the fact that this is not their first rodeo with some, <laughs> you know, Scientology whale getting involved or being accused of, you know, corruption or or bad bad behavior, being a bad actor. You know. Well, well, well two, two, two examples to contrast. Back in the '90s, some Scientologists were selling blue laundry balls. And oh, I hadn't heard about this. The blue laundry ball. <laughs> in the, 90s, <laughs> the blue laundry ball. It was a, a ball full of. They were saying some, you know, modified water or something, like you uh, know how the, it wasn't like a how, Tide Pod. No, it was a blue laundry ball. A <laughs> blue laundry and, ball, okay. And and they had some like, you know how they always use it was like quantum modified water or something. Oh they were using, God, um, it was one of those goofy pseudoscientific things that Scientologists love so much. Yeah, some some kind, they altered the water so it had negative ions or some, right. something like that. Right, right. And uh, they were really expensive, but it would eliminate the need for detergent in doing your laundry. Of course. They could just drop in your blue laundry ball, and it cost you a lot. <laughs> was this was this the same guy who did the water, the Vegas guy? I, you know, I there's there's so many Scientology <laughs> uh, carnies out there. I know it's it's actually when you start looking at the history of it, and you start looking into this, it really does seem maybe maybe because we're so hypersensitive to the Scientology news, we don't see this in other, you know, we don't relate this to other, you know, cults or something. But my yeah. God, man, the number of these guys who just get get caught up in this nonsense, multi-level marketing, blue laundry uh, balls, and yeah. and. And it's just all kinds of ridiculous nonsense. Because, uh, you know, Scientology, there's always a pressure to make money. That's right. You know, That's so you right. can make money two ways legitimately, which most Scientologists make money legitimately. Uh, the most phenomenal being uh, 
of course, Bob Duggan, who apparently is not that involved with Scientology anymore. I mean, we're not seeing his name. We're not seeing trophies with him standing next to them anymore. We're nope. not seeing. We seem to see a a complete pullback on that. But there was a stand-up guy who made his billions of dollars in big pharma, and good for Bob. Mm-hmm. Glad he's wealthy. And um, the other thing, uh, on a more serious note, uh, going back several years, OT8 William uh, Rex Fowler. Yes shot and killed his business partner in cold blood point blank range that happened here in colorado right yes it did and uh what had happened is that 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 rex fowler was taking money out of the company and uh embezzling it that word was used and he was supposed to pay his business partner some money back that was owed there was a falling out between them and he said come to the office i'll pay you the guy shows up and he he shoots and kills him nine millimeter now rex fowler then this is an ot8 turns the gun on himself right Right. but it's one of those things where you know you're nervous he squeezes the trigger the bullet traverses his sinuses and exits his forehead it doesn't kill him though so So he's covered with blood being cause over life and death bad joke i know but jesus man you couldn't even well you know you know, when you get nervous, you know, that's the fi- that's the final thing. So he's got he's covered with blood. The police roll up and they think the dead guy was the shooter. They think Rex is the victim, but then they, they get it figured out. It's an active crime scene. It takes a while. So while it's an active crime scene, Rex Fowler's wife gets word of this murder, this heinous, heinous murder, right? Mm-hmm. She shows up at the crime scene and... She says, I have to get my husband's briefcase because it, can, it contains the OT materials. Oh, my God. She actually is, walked into an active crime. Of course she did. She was a Scientologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah because, the, you know, she obviously calls OSA and they tell her, get, get the OT materials out. Right. And the police told her no. Of course but they did. The, <laughs> but in the meantime, the church hired the best criminal defense lawyers to make sure to tell, argue with the judge that Scientology has nothing to do with this. Now, the judge accepted the premise and said, okay, this is not about Scientology. So even though you had no T8, who was a longtime Scientologist committing a murder, monies went to the church. Church attorneys, church attorneys working for the church, were able to convince them to keep, you know, keep Scientology out of this murder. So now William Rex Fowler is serving life imprisonment. Right. Is that, I think he's down at the Supermax. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... Uh, you even had uh, Devon Newman, who was the Las Vegas PR rep. She right. got arrested a few years back in a plot with a white supremacist to assassinate a pol- torture and uh, assassinate a police officer. That's right. I remember that well because, unfortunately for me, Devon uh, Newman was my junior in the Sea Org. Wow. Yeah, for a period wow. of time when I worked at AOLA. She was at uh, AOLA as well as a Sea Org member. And mm. she uh, left the Sea Org. And usually when you leave the Sea Org, you're never, you know, being on staff again is verboten. But she got a special exception and then uh, met this guy who was a bit off and they decided to uh, uh, plot to kidnap and torture and kill a police officer. I think it was I think it was related to uh, if I I don't I'm not totally sure on this, but I think it was related in a distant way to sovereign citizens. Oh, that's right. They're sovereign citizen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some sovereignty. And, and um, the charges were dropped against 
Devon Newman. Yes. But I will tell you that uh, going way back, Karen knew Devon Newman years and years and years ago, oh, right? Oh, she knew her too, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so when that happened, I got a call, and I didn't know the name Devon Newman, right? Yeah. So I got a call from a bail bond company wanting to, you know, if we would bail out Devon Newman. <laughs> you guys got she, the call? Wow. Yeah, yeah, because she was with connection with Karen. Yeah, she figured, you know, Karen's got money, so maybe Karen will bail me out. It's like, no, I, no, wow. Devon, you <laughs> called Scientology. Maybe the church will bail you out. Uh, so, you know, this is now shifting gears into yeah. more Scientology and Wales. Okay. This is, this is a whole different topic entirely, right? Mm -hmm. Grant Cardone. Oh, our favorite Scientology whale. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Fun. Now, <laughs> Mr. Now, YouTube Fun. He's he's got his own channel. He's a social media giant. Oh, yes. Just, Just ask, ask him. him. <laughs> ask him. Yeah, he'll tell you. He'll tell you all flies about a, it. Flies a private jet. Oh yeah. Now, Grant now Grant Cardone is raising money regulation D. That's no surprise to me at all now. Yeah, well, you get rich off other people's money. Yeah, and that's what he has made a practice of doing. And selling sales. Selling being a salesman. Well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. What Grant Cart got interested in, because I, I watch his videos. You know, he's enjoyable to watch. And I, you know, look at him from I, I a... I have a hard time watching the guy personally, but okay. <laughs> he's, he's entertaining. He I will say that there are moments where he can be funny, but I really yeah. do have a hard time watching him in the same way I have a hard time watching Tom Cruise. Okay, I got it. Understood. Yeah. Now, now Grant, <clears throat> you know, Grant preaches, you know, hard work ethic, work, hustle. Yep. Get out there and hit it. And those are the things you got to do to make it. He's self-made. Yes, absolutely he, he is. Now, sometimes I wonder, though, his, his twin brother, Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a video of Gary and Grant, mm -hmm. twin brothers, right? And one of the stories somebody told me, and I won't say which source it is, uh, they were at Flag, and and people kept confusing Gary for Grant. And apparently, from what I heard, Gary didn't like it, and so Grant had to move out to L.A. Because huh. Gary's at that time, had a lot more money. Gary made it big in energy in Europe. He, he, he really made a killing in Europe. So um, props to him. Now, so so Grant realizes the way to make money he, he's always preaching, putting money aside, putting aside, he's investing in apartment buildings. Right. And he realized that a, apartment buildings are a great investment. And uh, so he's raising money to, uh, for, for, grant, for, for Cardone Capital to invest in apartment buildings. Now, what he does is he gets a percentage when he buys the apartment building. And his game is uh, on the back end, when he sells the apartment building, he takes 35%. The rest is split with the investors, among the investors, depending on how many shares you buy. And you get paid dividends, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm working on a, a post about how much you'll really make versus the stock market, because Grant doesn't like stock. And he thinks it's better to own apartments. Um, he has $800 million assets under management. That's a lot. Going to go over a billion, but what, what you have to be careful when you hear assets under management. It's other people's money, and it really means eight hundred million dollars in debt. 
because yeah, he puts down exactly that's that's one of the things about these these numbers that get floated around they're they're pr numbers they give up they give off this idea of stability and wealth and power but you know and and all the companies do this because it gets reported on this way but as i understand it there's a lot of hot air in there well you know yeah you have to be very careful that's why you read the prospectus now Grant generally puts down 20% on a building. So the 800 million assets under management might be $640 million in debt because it's private. We don't know the real numbers. Right. But he does believe in borrowing money. And that's one theory of investing is you, you borrow money. So if you borrow it at, at 4%, but you make 10%, then you're ahead, right? Interesting. So, I have to comment real fast before I forget that it's interesting that he does that and that you, that you mentioned that because... Uh, he also talks so much about how L. Ron Hubbard gave him all the like, you know, ammunition to be able to do what he does. And L. Ron Hubbard's financial policies are crystal clear that you never borrow money. So just wanted to point that out. And yeah, that's a, that's a good point for the church. The church cannot borrow money. But, you know, grants borrowing money to, yep. to buy these buildings. And um, what, what he does is he. He locks your money up for seven to ten years, mm -hmm. and then you'll you'll own an apartment building. He sold one one building, uh, made about thirty million dollars on it, three years. Wow. You know, so he you know he 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 announces these things. So you buy apartment building by apartment building. A couple of things Grant does that are smart. He never goes above SEC limits. Mm. So each apartment building is its own um, is its own company its own corporation, its own Delaware corporation. So he never rises above the SEC limits where he has to report anything. That's where David Gentile made a mistake. He rose above the SEC limits that obligated him to report. Grant's a lot smarter about Regulation D. Okay. And apartment buildings uh, are a, a good investment. I think you can make more money in the stock market. There's a case to be made. And uh, Grant just doesn't see it that way. Because a lot of millennials don't want to own houses. Mm. They don't think you should own a house. So, but they, so they have to have a place to live, so you rent an apartment. Sure. Personally, I, I think owning a house is the bedrock of wealth creation for an individual. You know, that's how, that's how I made my money. Is I, When I was a young guy, I bought a condo. Oh, I get it. And I flipped it, and I made, uh, um, this was in the early 80s, I made $40,000 in a year. Wow, for the early '80s, that was good. Well, I hit the I hit the uh, real estate market just properly. I bought an old junky condo that like dogs had lived in. I ripped out the carpet, painted it, fixed it up, and then the market came up fast. So I happened to buy buy low and sell high, right? Yeah, I got I it. got I got lucky, right? Yeah. On my first. Now I was able to pay off my student debt. I was able to pay off credit card debt, and I've been debt free ever since. And I've owned houses, you know, and and so for me. You should own a house. And, um, you know, this is where people, young people who join the military, one of the benefits for our veterans is they can buy zero down right. and own a house. And right. then it's their, it's their appreciation. And it's, you get the tax write-offs. You get all the benefits. Grant Cardone is making a case that it's, it's stupid to own your own house. Oh, I remember him talking in an interview about this. He actually said that it's, he, he painted it 
in a conspiratorial light. He said it was the bankers who actually put the promo out to get, you know, the, on the American dream. Everybody owns a white picket fence house and the two dogs and the, you know, the, the dog and the cat and the, and the two kids and stuff. And this American dream was sold to the American public in order to get them to invest more money, you know, loan, borrow more money from the um, banks. And he, and he kind of paints it as a big scheme. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's his take on it. He's entitled to it. Oh, now, I, fair enough. I just think it's a, it's interesting that, you know, you would that you would form a conspiracy theory around that, you know. Well, that's see part of his deal too that he pitches is same thing other people are doing. I'll let you in on the deals that only the rich can get to. Right. Because Chris, you and I couldn't go out and buy an apartment building, right? Right. Well, actually, right. Actually, depending on the size of it, I could, right? But do I want to buy an apartment building? No. I, I've always bought tech stocks, and I followed the thing, the classic thing, stocks that Jim Cramer recommended and did really well, Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, right? So it's a difference in investment philosophy, but I don't want my money locked up with Grant Cardone or anyone else for seven to 10 years. I would never give and Grant Cardone a dollar of my money. Well, it's not just Grant Cardone. It, to me, it's any Regulation D investment. I, for me, I would never lock up my money for seven to ten years in a Regulation D private equity placement. I Fair just enough. like the, the liquidity of the market. Like I like being able to sell when the market's high, take profit, and so so Grant Cardone. He did this interesting thing. He had you know his ten X growth conferences. Mm -hmm. So he he had one uh, in February, right? Now, this is something I want to point out. Let's just let Grant Cardone know I'm watching him. Listen to him. People listen to you, Grant. He said he made a video that he raised $15 million in uh, 30 minutes. Wow. He got on the stage and he pitched his regulation D offerings. To, and he had 34,000 people in the stadium, right? And, um, and there were other speakers as well. And he had hired Snoop Dogg to appear, Steve Harvey, and he parachuted in, you know. Uh, wow. He, he certainly he, has the showmanship side of this down. He does. And uh, it keeps himself buff, right? He's in good shape. Yep. So, so he parachutes and he raises $15 million, half hour, because he, and then he goes through, I built a big audience. It took me time. I sent out something like a quarter of a billion emails built an audience, gave them what they wanted. He convinced his crowd to invest with him in Regulation D, right? Mm -hmm. So he could buy apartment buildings so he could take 35% on the backside. So Grant's going to get rich taking 35% on the backside because apartments are not, an unsafe, are not an unsafe investment. But the individual investor, I'm, I'm in the middle of crunching numbers and I have a, a number crunching expert helping me. Mm. So we're going to do a study. And I, and I have some interesting information because Grant leaves information online that's easy to find. And there's SEC filings as well online. Okay, so um, he does another video sometime later where he tells a guy, and this is on Twitter last week, he tells a guy that he spent $10 million to do the event. Okay. I'm thinking, wait a minute, you spent $10 million to do the event to raise $15 million? That's like you know that's counterintuitive in my mind mm. there, there's other ways you don't need to spend 10 million in this big self-promotion 
10 million for an event. And I don't know that I believe the number. I'm skeptical. Snoop Dogg's personal appearance fee goes anywhere from 100,000 to a million if you look online, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't so think Grant Cardone could have lied. Well, he might have embellished or he might have put all of his costs, you know, across three or four years. I don't know. I'm just skeptical that he spent $10 million for that event. He yeah. could have. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm personally skeptical based on what I know about events, right? Yeah. Um, to do it to raise, to, to pitch it as a 10, 10x growth conference, but yet ask people to sink their money in with you for seven to 10 years. I don't agree with that philosophically in terms of sales. Because sure. if it were really about invest with Cardone Capital, it's not a 10x growth conference. Because once you invest your money with them, it's gone and you don't get it. It's illiquid, right? Mm -hmm. You have to go make more money to make that up. So then you need his, uh, apparently his you know, 10x growth, and you have to hustle more, right? Yeah, exactly. So the, the, um, <clears throat> the, approach, the approach of spending, by the way, if you have 34,000 people, as he claimed, um, and you're spending 10 million, that's $234 per person to get them in mm -hmm. to, in order to raise money from them. But if you clear out 5 million and you write off the 10 as, uh, off your taxes, there you go. Right. That's right. So there's also a debate. He said he paid, uh, something like $50 million in cash for his jet. And his there's jet. also, yeah, he has a new G550. Of course he does. Bunch of videos, you know. I wonder how uh, much he's given to the Church of Scientology. Well, I think it's at least five million. Last we checked, Jesus. I think I think he has uh, he has a five million dollar bowling trophy, the IES trophy. Oh right. Do you think he's got in for Tom Cruise's spot, Bob Duggan's spot, something like that? <laughs> uh, well, he has he wears a shirt that says "Billionaire in Training," and the most interesting trend he's got is uh, besides "Billionaire in Training." is he's, he's now preaching on Twitter, God wants you to be a billionaire. God wants you to have it all. So he's entered this prosperity preacher mode. Wait a minute, what? I yes. never, I have not seen that. He's talking God now? Yes, yes, he tweeted, God wants you to be a billionaire. <laughs> God wants you to have it all. Maybe he's hooking up with Joel Osteen now. No, actually, I think he's following Kenneth Copeland, the big uh. dog. The big dog, right? A guy I, I really like is a lot of people don't, but Kenneth Copeland. I met him years ago when I was a teenager at a full gospel businessman's retreat with Demas Shakrian speaking. And uh, Brother Copeland like, talked to me and two other guys for over an hour. Very wow. intense guy. And he's a private pilot. He flew Oral Roberts, you know, interesting guy. He's over a billion dollars. Grant, my I'm afraid suspicion. I have nothing nice to say about Kenneth Copeland and such individuals. The, when it gets to prosperity gospel people, I, I think they have long since not just parked their moral compass at the door. I think they broke it with a sledgehammer. Well, I don't disagree, but 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 they're consistent with their own philosophy because Robert Tilton once said, "If you're going to preach prosperity, you had better be prosperous." Right. So it is, I like Lead Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> I, I, I like Kenneth Copeland for different reasons than you think. Okay. And I'm not a, and, and I'm not a Christian. I like his general, um, his, his general way he's approached wealth, mm. getting to pe people to think about making more money. 
Interesting. And um, I don't like his seed, the idea of the seed faith offering. That's just no. nonsense, right? That's, that's where I lose it. I mean, if somebody wants to go work hard, sell a product, sell money products, invest in other products and make money off of that, I have nothing to say about that. You know, that's what we consider an honest day's work at this point. Sure. Um, and, you know, well, but, having, but, this, but this business of you send me money because God told me to tell you that, and that's how you'll make more money. And the prey, I mean, it's predatory and it, and it ruins people's lives. And I, and I, I will never condone that kind of activity. No, I, I don't condone it, but having grown up in religion, I'm really fascinated by the conduct. There's mm -hmm. a man named Ole Anthony who exposed Robert Tilton and he's critical of Kenneth Copeland, Benny Hinn, all the other prosperity preachers. Yeah. And, and rightly so, because uh, they target, especially uh, Robert Tilton, he targeted poor people. Right. Gave them right. false hopes. Exactly. So that's that, the kind of predation know. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, it's disgusting. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just interesting within the context of religion in America, what you can get away with. If Big you were times. a... You were a secular business doing that, you would go to jail. Exactly. And that's, Under the that's my that's my principal problem with it, with what these guys get away with as uh, yeah. under the guise of religion. Exactly. And so so when I start seeing Cardone shift to this prosperity preacher uh, mm -hmm. valence, to use a Scientology word. <laughs> right. It tells me that he's marketing, he's done surveys for the Scientology tech of surveying. A lot of the people in the South he's talking to are Christians. Yeah. Right. And Christians have a Mormons. They all have a strong reach for money. One of the sayings of Mormonism is you'd better lengthen your stride, brother. I mean, you better go out and make more money because mm. you got to pay your temple dues, you know. Right. Um, and, and Cardone is based out of Florida. Yes. Yeah. Cardone, Cardone Capital. Yeah. He, by the way, he also makes a. Uh, he also has a, a management company that manages his apartment buildings. He makes money that way. Ah. He's also selling, he was, he's called, he has Cardone University. Oh, come on. He does. Oh, See? oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Shades of Trump University. I'm sorry. I just, I, I, I tried to, I'm trying to go a whole podcast without saying the guy's oh. name. But when you said that, I just went, oh, come on. Oh, I didn't go. I didn't. I didn't go to Trump. I went to Hubbard College of Administration. Oh, of course, of course. It's like oh, wise, of course. Yeah, you you exit off Vermont off the one hundred and one. You go by the Hubbard College of Administration. That's right. And uh, so Cardone University, to me, it reminded. And so what he's done is he's taken all his his decades of sales material. And you can go to Cardone University and buy these different packages and learn it from the master himself, right? Right. And uh, then, then you can become a Cardone uh, affiliate. That is, you can like get a license from Cardone University to sell those materials. You can become a Cardone, a Cardone acolyte. Yeah. Well, you know what he's doing is he's he's basically doing what Aaron Hubbard did in a different way. He's licensing his intellectual property. Yep. So once you go to Cardone University, or if you want to skip that part and just sell the Cardone name, I'm using the Cardone business technology, you can do that. Another interesting thing Grant Cardone did, which is really weird, I was going through his website, and I'm a wonk, I read details, right? And um, he, there's a company called Edgewise, and they, they're money lenders. And they claim to be loaning, lending money for tech startups and other things, but they're a high interest rate lender, right? Mm -hmm. And Cardone became an Edgewise affiliate. 
Like you can make eight, 800 to $1,000 on a transaction as an affiliate. So on my website, I could become an Edgewise affiliate and just try to arrange loans. Now, the fact that, that Cardone is selling everything he possibly can, you know, he's got to keep his cash flow up, right? Mm-hmm. And now he wants to monetize his sales materials. And there's nothing wrong with any of this. It's just interesting to watch him try to expand his um, ability to make money, expand mm-hmm. his, his footprint. Now, this latest derivation, though, in, in talking God, a Scientologist talking God, mm-hmm. he's not talking the Christian God at all. Mm. Because he's an OT and he knows damn well all that stuff is an R6 implant. Exactly. <laughs> That's what Mr. Hubbard taught. And let me ask you this, just for, for Cardone uh, fanboys who are listening in Scientology, yeah. what is God? What does God mean, Chris? Tell me. I, I, I assume that I'm new and I don't know what God means. Does Scientology believe in God? Tell no. me. Scientology has uh, very, very, very little to say about God. L. Ron Hubbard has a lot to say about organized religion and how it is nothing but a control mechanism. And the concept of God is, is sort of this nebulosity in Scientology. It's not really talked about very much. And Hubbard says you really won't understand it until you get to the top of the bridge, whatever that was supposed to mean. But he makes no bones about the fact that Jesus is fake, never lived, total implant. All of Christianity is nothing but a control mechanism. He hated the Catholic Church. He was yeah. always down on them. Uh, so Hubbard, Hubbard uh, you know, it's a case of the pot calling the kettle black, right? I mean, pretty obviously yeah. with, with him bad-mouthing organized religion the way that he did. <laughs> Why, uh, yeah. While he himself was, you know, executing the ultimate control operation on all of his followers. And anybody who stepped out of line, they had to get whacked or, or fair-gamed or whatever, and, you know, and made to disappear. So that was Hubbard's thing on God. Well, yeah, he, he's using all the First Amendment protections of religion. Exactly. In order to protect himself, that's what Scientology does. But a Scientologist, um, an OT, would never pray and say, oh, Jesus, please um, give me money for my bridge. Absolutely not. There is no idea in Scientology that God is an entity that cares about you at all. There is zero prayer in Scientology. There is no effort made to appease a deity, to worship a deity, to have any kind of relationship with a deity of any kind. And your internal salvation in Scientology has nothing to do with accepting Jesus or accepting God, even as a belief. You can be an atheist and get all the way to the top of the bridge, and it won't affect your progress in any way. Yeah, no, exactly. And you, um, you know, I went to, I graduated from Christian University, grew up in the church, and I've talked about it many times. I can tell you straight up, Scientology is in. 180% um, out. You, you can't be a Christian and a Scientologist. If you really understand doctrinal Christianity, uh, you know, the um, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Exactly. The triune, the triune Godhood. That's right. The, the, I, the, I have never known a Scientologist in all the years that I was in. I never saw anyone's Christian beliefs survive past the state of clear. Yeah. Right. 
In fact, in Santa Barbara, there was a woman who was a Sunday school teacher, very devout Christian, and she started voicing her doubts about it all to me as a Scientologist as she was listening to L. Ron Hubbard and what he had to say on the topic. So it strips you of those religious beliefs. The whole thing in Scientology about how you can be a Christian or Muslim or this or that and be a Scientologist, that's just PR fluff. That's just more of their window dressing. They're gonna, they're gonna break you of your religious beliefs, which is why it's so weird to hear Grant Cardone, who we know is an OT, talking about what God wants you to do. That is fascinating to me. And I have to ask you, do you think he has designs on setting up some kind of nonprofit? Uh, no, I don't think he does. I okay. think what he does, I think what he did is he surveyed buttons. Yeah. And he found out that a lot of people will respond to God. Yeah. Especially in the South. Yeah. Because in, in science and yeah, the Bible belt. Oh yeah. That's where all the, that's where most of the evangelicals are. Yeah, and that's where he tends to invest. Right. So, so in Scientology, there's a term called R, which means reality. Yep. Know the know the R or know the reality of your public. Right. Parallel the mind of the public. So, therefore, if your investors or would be investors believe in God, God wants you to be a billionaire. Right. So it's and just I, saying I think, what people want to hear, so they'll throw more money at him. What's well, a sales technique? Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> you put it that uh, you say tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Well, I mean, if, if he were selling to atheists, he would, you know, he would say that, you know, uh, um, how would you, Chris, how would you pitch an atheist on investing with you? You're an atheist. Well, I'd, I'd be pushing uh, facts. I'd, I'd be like, pushing like, the return on investment. Wouldn't you say like Darwin wants you to be a billionaire? <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I don't know. I'm just asking. <laughs> It's funny. So, uh, so anyway, this 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 is an interesting development, yes. and uh, you're not going to lose. I I personally don't think you're going to lose money investing with Grant Cardone, uh, okay. but I think you can make more money elsewhere, right? And you, I think you should own your own house. Those are those are my only knocks on Grant. But other than that, you know, it's a free country. The God stuff is going to be funny to watch. Well, that is interesting to me, and I am I am yeah. curious where he's going to take that. Uh, I think he'll just continue to to. to 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 put it into the um, the language and the approach, yeah, he'll represent himself as a man of faith. Well, I'll and, tell you one thing: the Church of Scientology is not going to care one little bit as long as those millions keep flowing to them for, out of his, you know, investment money. Yeah, they won't care. You, you know, it's a, and 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 there there is a, an ongoing debate online. You know, Christ, uh, Scientology likes to say you can be a Christian or a Buddhist or a Jew or a Hindu, or, even though they told the IRS as a practical matter you're expected to abandon your faith when you join Scientology. Exactly. They told the IRS that to get tax exemption, because one of the criteria of tax exemption is you have to be unique, mm. so you have a standalone faith, right? Mm -hmm. So as a practical matter, you're expected to abandon your religion, but you can observe it ceremonially. So if you're a Jew and you become a Scientologist, you could like have Passover. Sure. Meal. Right. Celebrate or, Hanukkah. But if you're a Christian, you're expected to drop that belief that Jesus died for your sins because you yourself as a Thetan are ultimately and only responsible for your own salvation. Exactly. And, the, the, and that, the, the basic principles of Christianity and Scientology are literally diametrically opposed. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier, because in, in, in Scientology, the only door to salvation is going up the bridge and becoming an OT8. And on this point, I want to just add something that, that 
I mentioned in a comment that I think is worth exploring. The Scientology bridge, as Hubbard left it when he died, goes up to OT15. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to point out to Scientologists, you're only getting half a bridge. It stops at OT8. That's right. And you're not getting the whole thing, and you won't until OT15, according to L. Ron Hubbard, the founder. So right. why would, you know, so pursuing a system that leaves you at an almost, as they call it in Scientology, you're hanging there at OT8, and those other seven levels aren't there. So what have you really gotten? You got halfway there, pal. Exactly. Scientology doesn't have a bridge to sell you. They have a half a bridge to sell you. Well, and I think that's an important point to make. Mm-hmm. It, is, it, is, it is half a bridge. That's right. And, and what, what seems to get ignored is that I'm at OT8. I'm only halfway done. I want the other levels, and they're never coming. Nope. You know, do you think do you think Miscavige will release nine and ten, OT nine and ten? I I've conjectured on this, and I think that it would be an afternoon's work for him put, to put something together that he could call OT nine and ten that yeah. people would go for. But I don't I I don't even know if the guy has the imagination to do it or the savvy to do it. I I don't know. Um, you, but I don't. Re- I I suspect he's going to drag this thing out for as long as he possibly can. Well, sure. I mean, it's been a success for him so far. And as yeah. long as he's in his John Loeb's and, you know, traveling the world and his jets and all that, then he's, he doesn't care. Yeah. Do you, do you remember going back into the 90s, maybe even the 80s, they were raising money for OT9 and 10, mm-hmm. taking advanced deposits? Oh, yeah. They've probably oh. sold people 9 and 10 packages three, four, five times over. Prerequisites <laughs> to get on to OT9 and 10 have changed over the years. <laughs> you had to be auditor trained. You had to do key to life. You had to do this. You had to do that. Now, I know of at least three <laughs> rounds, at least three rounds of all the OT8s being called to the ship to do their prereqs for 9 and 10, right? I mean, it's a cash cow, man. This, this, this thing, this promise. This hope of OT 9 and 10 is making him way more money than actually releasing 9 and 10 would ever do. It's the same drill as superpower. 20 years, they promised, promised, promised superpower. Once they shot the wad, nobody cares about superpower anymore. They don't talk about it. They don't oh. do it. You know, it's a known quantity now. It's, it's Vegas is built on this. It is the hope factor. That yeah. is what draws people in and actually biologically gives them the most pleasure. So that's what people, that's what people ride on. Okay. Then now, now I'll make an informed statement. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make an informed statement. In my opinion, uh, you're much better off investing with Cardone capital than investing in OT9 and 10. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Yes, you can take that to the bank. I will definitely endorse that statement. <laughs> because, because while God wants you to be a billionaire, according <laughs> to Grant Cardone, you ain't going to become OT9 and 10 this lifetime. Exactly. Or OT15. So. Hey, I wanted to ask you, um, yeah. since you do follow this stuff so closely, and by the way, anybody out there who hasn't seen ScientologyMoneyProject.com needs to check it out because Jeff has done some oh, real you. championship documentation of Scientology's nonsense uh, and some of their sh- chicanery and shenanigans they get up to. Uh, f- I don't even know, the, the, the Falkoffs, the, the, how do you say their name? Those guys from New York, that he got busted, right? Or there wasn't there some... Oh, no, no, oh, no, no, you're thinking... Um, not, not the, I don't know, 
the Thalecoffs is what I call them for yeah, short. Right. That's the that's the uh, father daughter team. No, no, switching gears again. Yeah. So Grant Cardone's gone. We're done discussing David Ginsburg. <laughs> now we're going to discuss uh, the Spina brothers. Oh, okay. S P S P I N A Spina. Uh, the Spina brothers are Scientologists, mm-hmm. OTs, who were charged in an eighty million dollar Medi-Cal fraud. Wow, $80 million, that is not chump change. No, nope. And they were actually charged. Yeah, they are charged. And um, one of the Spina brothers has pled guilty, probably looking at 10 years. The okay. sister is a Scientologist. She pled guilty. And one of the Spina brothers is holding out. Okay. So that's an $80 million Medi-Cal fraud from these two chiropractors. Right. So that's the latest on the Scientology crime watch there. Okay. And, um, I wonder how much money they gave to the Church of Scientology. That's something investigators would want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, and and in the Reed Slacken thing, there they um, the feds used the clawback law, and the church fought. The church fought in the courts not to give that money back. They wound up giving some token amount of what they'd actually gotten. Of course, they did. And uh, but they fought not to get the money back because they said it was a donation, but. I think nowadays with increased scrutiny and, and after 9-11, a lot, a lot of laws changed. Yep. But, but it, it, it shows you that um, while the vast majority of Scientologists make their money legitimately, there are the criminals in the mix. And they get caught. Why? Because the feds are better than ever at money laundering. And, and catching uh, people with money and money laundering, just, yeah. You know, getting stuff out of your computer, getting search warrants. I mean, they're, 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 they're so... There's such an enormous ability. The, the U.S. government makes so much money from forfeiture, arresting people, convicting them, and then confiscating their assets. Mm. Uh, FINRA, uh, the Financial Crimes Unit of the U.S. So it's one of those things. It's better to just make your money legitimately. It's not worth it going to prison. Absolutely. And I always, I, I always wonder why these people, you know, when you have one 1.8 billion or you have 80 million it, and it's not just Scientologists when you get into that criminal mindset it gets greed there's no money no amount of money's enough there's a thrill of getting away with it you know I think yeah and, there's I think there's a I think there's a lot of factors to that I mean there's there's I think there's an addiction factor even yeah you know you can never get enough uh, I think it relates to sense of identity and personality you know um, but it was fascinating to me, especially in hindsight, when we have conversations like this, how often it would come up within the world of Scientology, even back to the days when I was a staff member in lowly little Santa Barbara, hmm. how many of Scientologists would be drawn like magnets to, uh, or iron fillings to a magnet, to these get-rich-quick ideas, and also to the sovereign citizen uh, avoid hmm. taxes thing too, like like get all your money any way you can, but then also it's all yours, you know, which was yeah. a very Hubbardian Hubbard idea. He was very very much into that. He, he rants and rails against taxes and against the U.S. government a lot in his life. Yeah, he was uh, Hubbard. Uh, Hubbard did not like to pay the income taxes. He called it. Nope. Scientology was behind it in the eighties. Scientology was behind a group called Cats, Citizens for Alternative Tax System. And they were out uh, trying to destroy the IRS and find 
whistleblowers in the IRS posting full page ads and doing all that. Interesting point. One thing about tax exemption, which could be a different show we could talk about, because I have a different view than the, than the, I have a very different view about how Scientology got tax exemption than the popularly held view. Oh, okay. And it won't, it won't make me popular for stating my contrarian view, but it's <laughs> a good podcast, but I don't care either because at my age, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so, um, one thing Scientology, if you note it, when they got tax exemption in 1993, suddenly all that went away. Oh, yes. You'd better, you had better pay your taxes. You'd better comply with the IRS. Part of what the IRS wanted tamped down was all this anti-IRS sentiment. That's right. And, they, they and the church complied with that. I mean, I remember the issues coming down. They were Scientology policy directives. So they weren't written by Hubbard, but they had the force of policy. And they were very, very clear that the church was no longer going to tolerate any of these tax avoidance schemes. They were no longer going to tolerate any Scientologist online who was going to not pay his taxes. That was going to be like, okay, you're offline until you get that sorted out. Yeah. And they were not going to, they were not interested in picking any more fights with the IRS or giving the IRS any excuse to take away the tax exemption. Exactly. And that's why uh, the church of spiritual technology exists at the very top special directors must be tax lawyers right they don't have they don't have to be scientologists either and that cst supposedly exists the church of spiritual technology supposedly exists not just as an archival organization to put Aaron hubbard's works into steel plates that are in turn buried in vaults right just as an aside i mentioned before my blog but this is really funny you know these nuclear proof vaults Yes. the technology store in case the, some madman presses a button the tech yes. will still be there to me this is funny can we diverge for a minute absolutely okay these these uh church of scientology nuclear proof vaults like in tremontina new mexico you know um first of all tremontina is like over eight thousand feet high there's no water up there so in a post-nuclear apocalypse people in la and the big cities aren't going to know there's a vault in tremontina new mexico Right. Yeah. And they're going to have to go up 8,000 feet and carry all their own water and food. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be and making that hike. There's no water up there, so they're going to be listening to L. Ron Hubbard on, on solar-powered record players doing the tech. No, what the, what, here's a funny thing when you dig into the Scientology, and I've shared this before, but it's amusing for new listeners. The Church of Scientology told the IRS, and it's 1023 application for tax exemption, um, that the major risk to the vaults are that vandals and looters will take the stuff and melt it down. Well, hell yes. In a post-nuclear apocalypse, I'm going to melt down. Absolutely. They're going to have, I mean, they got tons of steel and stuff in there. Well, we're going to need stainless steel and titanium. I'm going to melt it down and build utilitarian stuff, you know? Like of course. Not Nice forks, spoons, plates, spears, knives, swords, whatever, right? Oh yeah, and these and these vaults would be a treasure trove for for any for scavengers looking for stuff like that. Well, it happened to the Great Pyramid, and uh, all the beautiful limestone covering that was it were tours, right. was iridescent and shimmered in the sun was taken and used to build you know other other temples. So um, it's a crazy world. And it is. Well, you, so, you know, yesterday's importance has become, you know, today's trivialities is kind of how it goes. Yeah. And I guess that one of the takeaways from today's podcast, Chris, if God wants you to be a billionaire, <laughs> act, act in such a way that the FBI doesn't show up and, you know, 
pay an unannounced visit to your place of business on a Friday afternoon. Exactly. Exactly. Now, now Chris, going back to the FBI raids at GBB Capital. Yeah. Okay. Help me out with a sequence of events. Okay. Okay. David Gentili, who's a Scientologist, learns that his two companies have been raided. It, like, Dave, I got bad news for you. The FBI was just here. What's the first call he makes? What does he do as a Scientologist? Well, he's going to have to call the Office of Special Affairs. That's his first call? Absolutely. So he, so what was he, he says, hey, hey, um, David Gentili here, uh, FBI just raided my two offices. Well, they're going to, okay, so they're going to, okay, what happened? Yeah. What'd you do? Why is this happening? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. and, and he's going to be expected to be nothing but forthcoming, open and honest and transparent, right? Because he's talking to church terminals now, right? Church staff members. Yeah. And, uh, and they're going to want to get all the data right away. And then they're going to advise, uh, you know, you better have you know, a lawyer, legal representation, blah, blah, blah. And then they're going to probably be like, okay, we'll get back to you. Right. And then immediately, yeah. right up the line, so, all this information goes. So eventually, I mean, David Miscavige will know about it pretty quickly. It, I would say on an FBI raid on a Scientology whale, he's going to know about it within minutes. So it's like, sir, we have a situation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they, they <laughs> I mean, unless, you know, mm-hmm. the glittering model of efficiency that is the Office of Special Affairs uh, isn't working so well these days, which would be, you know, not really a huge surprise given how, you know, uh, well, they might, they might, they might have to pull Ed Parkin off his Twitter account where he's using <laughs> phony stock photos. Exactly. Exactly. And, and just, just another aside. Okay. So, uh, Ed Parkin has been using stock photos, right? Fake people. Yes. I'll just, okay. So a couple of weeks ago, I caught him using a nude model. Right, mm-hmm. Lana Brooke, even though she was clothed, I, I use Google reverse images, and she's a nude model. She's a favor of Nigerian scammers and Ghanaian romance scammers, right? Mm-hmm. All, all American girl, but nude model. And um, so, so today, Ed got caught by by another someone on Twitter, Scientology watcher, using a picture of a little girl. Yeah, I saw that I, tweet today. This is creepy. He's using nude model, little girl. It's like, Chris, is this does it? Is this a thing that should not be this weird? One, I, you know, okay. It, I have to, it, it, I have it, to it, tread it, lightly here, but I will yeah. say that one wonders if Ed is trying to take advantage of his, I mean, I think, I think that's about as much porn or about as close to porn as Ed's going to get on, on a Scientology channel. So yeah, it just, it know. was just weird because there's a pattern, you know, you think, yes. and creepy. okay. Now, why does the Church of Scientology, Office of Special Affairs, allow Ed Parkin to use stock photos that are obviously fake people? He's been caught over and over as a social media fraud. Why do they let him keep doing it? I actually do not understand it. I have no explanation because it would be better for them to engage in stoic silence than to do what they're doing. So it really does just speak to this weird, culty, bizarre mindset that gets that gets onto their PR area. You know, I, I really don't get it. They make extremely simplistic and stupid moves, and and you bust them. Other people, of course, Twitter is just loaded with people waiting to bust people for stuff like this. So they get caught every time. 
So it's really bizarre to me that they continue engaging in those kind of practices. Well, here, here's what's weird to me, Chris. They spend about a hundred billion, uh, I'm sorry, $100 million for Scientology TV, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay, now that's a legitimate vehicle. They own it and they, they have real Scientologists like we know about the banjos. Right. Surfing. Oh, well, here's the one thing though. They can't use yeah. any real Scientologists uh, too much anymore because... Yeah, why? They might leave the church tomorrow and get declared, and then they have then they have to waste all those properties, right? Just like they had to remake all their tech films, they have to you know they have to remake all their uh, promotional items that had Larry Anderson, Jason Begay, Leah Remini. I mean, any of that stuff is like you know dead now. So uh, <laughs> that's why they started hiring professional actors to be in their films rather than Scientologists, who they were using for decades. And oh, that's yeah, you, why you see casting that calls. photos, yeah. you know? Yeah, this is weird because you'd think they... So because people could leave, they can't use them on Twitter. And they use, I guess, only the most trusted people like the banjo makers. That's right. Uh, well, those are families. Those are, in, yeah. you know, those are invested in, you know, entrenched families who yeah. are multi-generational. And unless they pull a Leah Remini, right, and they, and they all go out at once there's a pretty good probability that those folks are going to stay around for a good long time. Well, that's a good, I'm glad you told me that, I, that because if they use you on Scientology TV, it's, it's a multi-generational thing. They Probably, have some, yeah. Yeah. They have some trust factor, but, but going back to spending a, here's what I don't understand about Scientology and why it's so damn irrational and stupid. Mm-hmm. If you're going to spend a hundred million dollars on a TV network, why are you committing social media fraud on Twitter? Right, that you I, might as well. It's the it's the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing. I'm telling you, it's well, it's well, that yeah. stupid. You know, well, here, the guy, here. Ed Ed is yeah. like, is kind of like the new John Alex Wood, right? Like you haven't seen John Alex Wood for a while, and, no, uh, or at least you know not too much, right? He's kind of off in some other stuff. So now Ed Parkin has taken on the hat, and. He's just kind of this lone wolf guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he was just sitting at his desk alone at OSA International or wherever the guy is, just doing his thing completely siloed from everything else that's going on. I mean, so he, he, he but, but this is where he's so damaging to the church. Yep. Because like I said, the, the church is very, church Scientology is very schizophrenic. So you have this $100 million TV network and if you watch it, it's boring and repetitious, but it's pretty, it's pretty um, safe content, right? Yep. I mean, and you, they, they and you can't really knock the production values either. No, I mean, the production values are nice. They spend a lot of money yep. to make it look good, right? Yeah. The content and is then, insane, but the production values are good. <laughs> well, well, I watch Scientology TV and what is, you're watching a program about Scientology. Then they break for commercials about Scientology. And they go back to Scientology. And then they have like <laughs> right. twin programs. Next up on Scientology TV, more Scientology. And then commercials. Yep. And it, it's like, it's just massive overrun. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then they'll throw, then they get some filmmakers who are so desperate to get their work showing they're willing to give it to Scientology. It's exactly. like a, a writers of the future thing, right? That's right. So, so uh, to watch Scientology TV is an, I'd rather watch paint dry. Right is boring they don't they don't do anything controversial okay so that but but it's innocuous right yep it's it, it shows scientologists that we're out on uh direct tv and we've got we're doing this thing okay now 
the schizophrenic weird side is you have Freedom Magazine, which is just crazier. Just, you know that term we used for years, batshit crazy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what Scientology is doing on social media, the correct way to say it is irrational, stupid, and foolish, but it's really batshit crazy. That's right. You just don't do this phony people and then you're screaming about psychiatry how you want to destroy psychiatry and big pharma and uh, you know so it's like this weird schizophrenia about we're happy we're pro-family come like today tony had a thing on his blog about up in canada where they're going to barbecue and play and laugh and play they had big text for laughing and playing on this channel, <laughs> right. we'll be laughing and playing. Whereas R. Ron Hubbard says Scientology is a deadly serious activity. We're not That's playing. Right. We're not playing. Although, you yeah. know, a being causes his own feelings, and the greatest joy there is in life <laughs> is creating. So splurge on it, right? The, the schizophrenia, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! The schizophrenia, I believe, comes from the fact that you have two different divisions of the Office of Special Affairs doing these hmm. things. And they are explain, siloed. Explain. Public explain. relations is one silo, is one division, right? right? And investigations right. and nasty fair gaming is the other. And these two things oh. mix, right? So they're kept separate. So these guys literally do not know what these guys are doing and vice versa. It really is that stupid. And the guys who are supposed to be coordinating this stuff, you know, these are the people who are staying, who have 18 hour days. These are the people who are not getting a lot of sleep. They're not getting a lot of rest. And they're getting ro rotated on posts constantly because these are hot seats. You know, the Office of Special Affairs is a place I would never want to work in Scientology. Of all the places that you could choose to work in Scientology, that would be the end of the line, last place. <laughs> <laughs> because you're under the gun 24-7. Yeah. I mean, these are the people who are fielding the calls of the FBI is raiding my office right now, right? And yeah. they got to silo that stuff. they got to keep that information compartmented so only a handful of people even know that this is happening or going down. The PR guys are purposefully kept shielded from that so that they have one, plausible deniability, and two, so that they're not distracted in what they're doing. Because if a PR person starts thinking that what he's PRing is fake, or there's a lot of problems and issues, and this is going to be problematic on the PR line, then they're not going to be doing their job as well, according to L. Ron Hubbard's philosophy and David, certainly David Miscavige's. So there's just a separation and there's a very big, huge, gigantic wall between these two things. Well, I'm glad you broke that on explain it. So on one side, you're charged with creating happy pictures, smiling Scientologist. And here at, at um, Pack Base every weekend, now they're putting up the inflatable bouncy house. <laughs> right. And then they have these uh, local vendors selling discount bed sheets and things, as I've documented. Mm-hmm really funny discount bed sheets and in the Scientology. So, um, and then you have, so you have all this happy nonsense, right? Yeah. Family and bubbles and unicorns, rainbows. On the other side, there's this vicious, weird, vindictive, mentally ill people. I think they're mentally ill, but I'm not a psychiatrist. So I can't diagnose. That's just an opinion. I understand. To uh, <clears throat> consult your own, you know. Um, <laughs> So, so it's, it's, this weird, it's this weird schizophrenia, and it comes out on social media. 
That's right. And that's where, and that's, and that's some pretty dark stuff, what they do on social media. So you, you, um, and, you, and on the Freedom Magazine stuff, where they really get down and dirty. And I also happen to think, by the way, that that is where David Miscavige really likes to live. On the dirty. Weird. Oh, I think he yeah, really yeah. likes overseeing that. He's also fascinated by legal for some reason. I remember hearing about that when I was in the church. Uh, that there were guys from OSA who were on the RPF and other places who would complain about the fact that Mac Miscavige was micromanaging their every move, and he just loved hobby horsing on legal. Uh, so that's where he spends the bulk of his time. So, you know, make that well, make of that what you will. No, it's an it's an interesting data point. Now, uh, another question I have for you, going back to GBB Capital with David Gentili. Yeah. Okay. Now, going back, you're. Office of Special Affairs. Yep. Okay. Now, I'm a public Scientologist. I come to you and I say, hey, Chris, uh, I just read David Gentile, who, who I've known, you know, we were on course or whatever, or we were on the ship. He's got raided by the FBI. What's going on? What's the handling for me? It's going to be, okay, until the church decides whether David Gentile is uh, innocent or guilty, until they've made their decision about that, um, it will be a delay. It will be a, you know, it's being sorted out. Don't worry about it. You know, shut your mouth. Um, if so, no. When, when you say shut your mouth, will I be told not to talk about it? Oh yeah, not absolutely. In theta. So, but but specifically, you'll say you're not to discuss this. This is in theta. Yes, absolutely. You'll say, look, we understand. You know, I don't have all the data myself. I'm I'm finding out what's what. Like this might be the local area. Sure. Office of Special Affairs representative, right? The director of special affairs. Yeah, the, yeah, the DSA. Yeah, the DSA, right? Like maybe at New York or something, right? Sure. So, so somebody approaches the DSA and says, oh my God, I just read this about David Vincelli. The line will probably be, it's trumped up nonsense. Don't believe what you read. It's all just bullshit. You know, you know how the media is. You know the FBI. They're part of the government. And the government's inherently bad because L. Ron Hubbard says so. So it's just a frame job, you know, this kind of thing, right? Yeah. That'll be the party line until it's not, right? Until and, he's, until the Office of Special Affairs or David Miscavige decides he's now a liability to us, at which right. point the declare order comes, the, the, uh, the ethics order comes down that you can show people who are close friends or connected with the guy that basically tells them this guy was a complete crim, always was a crim, never got any case gain in Scientology, and anybody who knows him needs to disconnect from him immediately. So let's let's I'm gonna make a Tommy Davis motion. Let's back this up. <laughs> okay. Let's back it up a minute. Yeah. Okay. Take not David Gentile, but a guy. Okay, a hypothetical guy. Yep. He's arrested for financial crimes, staggering financial crimes. Is, is that the point at which he's declared a suppressive person? In other words, does it declare, does the SP declare come to anyone who's arrested or do they wait till they're charged? Like the Spina brothers, once uh, uh, one of the Spina brothers pled guilty to felony charges, right? Yeah. Is he declared automatically at that point? Absolutely. So he's Rex a known, he's a known felon. I mean, he's a criminal. I mean, there's no way Scientology is ever going to acknowledge that he is a member in good standing in any way. So when Rex Fowler was convicted of murder, first degree murder, he was declared a suppressive person. Absolutely. He's probably declared when he was arrested. 
Now, would the rest of his family be declared suppressives? Not necessarily. Depends on how they respond. If they toe the party line, if they cooperate with the church fully, if they refuse to say anything publicly about it one way or another, or better yet, disown right, uh, the individual in question, then they can remain in good standing with the church. Right? So they would be expected to disconnect from Rex Fowler, not visit him in prison, not send him canteen money. Absolutely. Zero contact with him. Oh, yeah. No, he's dead to them kind of thing. So he's gone. He's It's over with. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That is so interesting. So that's how Scientology can can conceive, you know, keep telling stuff. we're the most ethical group on the planet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And every, and the, the thinking is that these kind of people who do this criminal behavior, even while it's, you know, while it's benefiting Scientology, everybody's happy, right? Waha, pats on the back, here's your big yeah. bowling trophies and all that. The second that it becomes a public flap and an issue, we never knew the guy. Uh, yeah. He was here under false pretenses. All of his auditing was a lie. He was a suppressive person the whole time. You know, hmm. he, he fooled us just like he fooled everybody else kind of thing. We're the victim so gonna... as much as anybody else is. Wow, that's good. You know, just to, to by way of uh, translating into Christianity, in Christianity, when uh, when somebody goes bad, here's the ultimate voodoo thing you say in Christianity. He was never really saved. Exactly. Man, that's like, that's, that's the right. worst thing. He was, he never really had a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wasn't a genuine Christian. That's right. I, think it, I think it goes back to what's called the no true Scotsman fallacy. What's that? It's that, you know, no true, no true Scotsman would ever blah, fill in the blank, right? No true oh, yeah, okay. blah, yeah. whatever blah, right? So if he blahs, then that means he was never a Scientologist. He was never ethical. He was never, he was fooling everybody sort of thing, right? And this is their, yeah. they just scapegoat it. They throw the guy under the bus and, and that's that. And you become a non-person. Oh, yeah. Very, very fast. Now, that, that's interesting because, you know, you have a, a Mary Sue Hubbard, as I pointed out, was the co-founder of the Church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. She was there from day one when book one, book one was released on May 9, 1950, and Mary Sue Hubbard was there. She's the co-founder. She didn't write the tech, but she, you know, co-founder. Absolutely. She's, and she actually wrote quite a bit of the policy. Uh, yeah. She used L. Ron Hubbard's name on it. Okay, so thank you for the correction. Now, yeah, but she's a, she's a non-person. That at so, this point she is. That's right. Yeah. Well, you can search. You can search all. I don't know how many thousands of web pages. You won't find any mention of her. That's right. And they're probably taking her out of as many of the lectures as they could because mm -hmm. Hubbard talked about her all the time. But it would be easy to snip that out. Yeah, he called her Susie. So yeah. Well, there. Well, that that answers my question. So we have a lot to. Uh, watch out for it as as, as uh, developments happen with gbb capital we'll do another podcast absolutely and we'll and maybe we'll uh maybe we'll hit on that tax exemption thing sometime too yeah it, well i want to decide if, whether i want to have a contrarian thing where i'll get you know <laughs> right. I, I i might be declared by my own group if i <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll just cut Which, that part out <laughs> just cut that part out yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Hey, I, okay. I'm gonna let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up here then. Okay, Jeff, thank you very much for taking the time and being part of my show here. I really appreciate all the information and and uh, and you know, uh, good natured conjecture and everything else we we involved ourselves in here. So thanks for being part of this. 
That was a pleasure, Chris. Always great to talk to you. Absolutely. Okay, guys, any questions, comments, feedback, leave it in the comment section here on YouTube or at sensiblyspeaking.com. And if you find my podcast entertaining, informational, and uh, informative, then uh, consider joining me on Patreon, because that is what keeps the lights on and keeps the show on the road here. So I will see you guys next week. Thanks for coming around. Have a great week. Bye-bye.